1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. It's been seen as a brave and even brazen move, a decision by both Peel and Toronto's medical officers of health to invoke an order that allows them to shut down workplaces with more than five cases of COVID-19 for a period of 10 days fight back went directly to the medical officers themselves to find out what led them to take a stance and try to bring down the all too common and rising cases of COVID in workplaces. On Wednesday, Libby Snymer spoke with Dr. Lawrence Lowe and Dr. Eileen Devilla.
2: We were working on this together, and, you know, sometimes as you do that, the timing doesn't always line up with respect to the announcement, but certainly the work uh, and the pre-work to to, uh, get to that point was done together. We have both been the hotspots, if you will, of the province, but, you know, the circumstances specific to Peel are ever so slightly different to that which is happening here in Toronto, so... Uh, We each uh, worked on it together, but had to forge our own path, um, you know, when uh, when you get to the point where you're dotting the I's and crossing the T's.
3: So how many of these types of workplace outbreaks have you had in Toronto?
2: Well, we've had many workplace outbreaks over the course of the pandemic. I don't know if I have the exact number with me. And we continue to have workplace outbreaks. But given what we know now around the variants of concern, we really felt that, you know, this was an opportunity and a tool that we had in our toolkit to help really work towards reducing spread of the virus in workplaces, given that these are places where people are working together. So you actually have to have people in contact with each other in order for the virus to spread.
3: Uh, was this a kind of last resort know that I would call it a last resort. What I would
2: call it is just, you know, good use of the tools that we have available to us uh, and, uh, you know, an ongoing um, effort on the part of public health to really use the evidence that we have available to us and the tools that are available to us to control risk. Uh, We know that the variants of concern, uh, that B117, is just much more transmissible relative to what we saw with the old variant of COVID-19 that was circulating. Um, And we feel at this point in time that this is a reasonable step to take uh, in order to try to enhance the safety of essential workplaces so that we can both control COVID-19 to the greatest extent possible, while at the same time, Uh, supporting essential businesses
3: and workplaces to continue to deliver goods and services that actually help our community run. And now let's go to Dr. Lawrence Lowe, Medical Officer of Health for Peel Region. Is it kind of a last resort? What drove you to that now?
4: Peel Public Health and Toronto Public Health had continued to see and continue to discuss and work together on this uh, in identifying uh, ongoing outbreaks in uh, workplaces that remained open as uh, one of the significant drivers of transmission in our community, uh, both uh, for individuals uh, in those jobs who are getting sickened and then subsequently for them bringing it uh, home uh, to their families uh, and sickening and people there with this ongoing cycle between uh, workplaces and homes and then back into other workplaces. So I, I think to the extent that, especially with the variants, uh, we have been seeing outbreaks in Peel uh, that are often uh, spreading further and faster Uh, and just are greater in number, Uh, we really needed to take this approach to just try to get ahead uh, of the ongoing spread and this uh, this really uh, significant third wave in our community. The most important thing as well is that we're not going to be able to vaccinate our way out of this wave. We need to have these measures to address things, certainly the move of school in person and having the school community stay home as much as possible uh, to reduce contact interactions. And now this move, these are all going to be very important pieces. But vaccines do remain important. And in the region of Peel, we're now vaccinating uh, 50-plus in provincially defined hotspots, 60-plus throughout the region. Um, And if you are uh, in other eligible groups, which can be found on peelregion.ca forward slash COVID-19 vaccine, and I would really encourage you, if you're eligible, book your shot without delay, the same website, and let's uh, make sure that we can uh, hopefully get out of this, increase our vaccine coverage, and start gradually reducing measures for good.
1: Peel's Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Lawrence Lowe, and Toronto's Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Eileen DeVilla, in conversation with Libby on Wednesday. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Thursday, Premier Doug Ford offered a tearful apology in his first appearance since that disastrous news conference a week ago Friday. He admitted his government got it wrong, especially in giving overreaching powers to law enforcement, a move that was walked back the next day. But people who were expecting movement on paid sick days, as the PCs have been signaling for days, were disappointed. There was no announcement on that, although the premier did confirm the government is working on a program. It is the first time during the pandemic Doug Ford has acknowledged the need for paid sick time after medical and civic leaders have been telling us for months that paid sick days are crucial to stopping the spread. One of those leaders is Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown. He joined Libby with reaction to the premier's apology on Thursday.
5: I'm encouraged that he is going to bring in um, paid sick days. I thought this was an important tool uh, I've been advocating it for it for the last six months because that's what our physicians and public health departments said would be helpful. I know in Peel region, 25% of our COVID cases have been traced back to people going into work sick. You know, There are many people who live paycheck to paycheck and can't afford uh, to um, put food on the table for the family and pay their rent if they don't go into work. And so this will help. Uh, paid sick days will help. It's not the magic bullet, but it's one of a set of tools we need to um mitigate that the havoc created by this pandemic would I have preferred this have happened six months ago absolutely um, it would have made a difference um, but I appreciate the premier has made the right call um, and uh, I, I agreed to this um, to uh, agreed to this request and 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 this plea um, um, so I'm grateful that he that he sees the light
3: uh, interesting. Yesterday, I was talking to the Liberal leader, and I was wondering if those Section 22s, uh, uh, the public health orders, that they will be able to shut down workplaces with five or more cases sort of forced the government's hand on that. And he, he said he thought, no, it's because now Doug Ford is in real political trouble. How, how do you see it?
5: I think the Section 22 order was very important. Um that's where the transmission is happening. We have to focus on these essential, uh, workplaces. Uh, we, um, you know, we're seeing workplace spread lead to community spread. It's one of the reasons we're in this, um, predicament. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, um, optimistic that this is going to help. I know that right now we have a hundred workplace investigations in Peel. A number of factories may have to close. Um, but good. It will help get case numbers uh, under control. In terms of this order being applied provincially, uh, I think it's very helpful in Peel and Toronto, probably throughout the GTA. I'm not as convinced that it makes sense um, across the province because there'll be areas like Renfrew or Timmins that have a different dynamic. but uh, it's certainly going to help us in the GTA.
3: At this stage of the pandemic, how are you feeling about things in Brampton? I mean, you've said yourself that the paid sick days are one tool in the toolbox. What What else?
5: The biggest thing we need to avoid a fourth wave, vaccines, 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 vaccines. You know, we're still not getting our per capita um, allocation when it comes to the pharmacy rollout. Um, we're not seeing uh, the... Uh, the promised uh, hotspots, uh, mobile clinics that were, you know, that were promised two weeks ago. Um, we, we, you know, we we have 20% of the COVID cases, 10.5% of the provincial population, and 10% of the vaccines. And I would love to see our vaccine allocation more in line, um, of course, with our population. But it, it, you know, if you if you're going to listen to the medical advice, more in line with the amount of COVID cases, you know, fo- focus our resources on the areas that are facing real transmission and activity with, um, with the virus. I would say, I got a call last night from premier Ford. He was heartfelt. He promised help. He said, within two weeks, we're going to have mobile clinics up at a number of our factories. And he promised a pop up clinic for um, so, you know, some of our hotspots. We, we have every postal code in Brampton is a hotspot. So, I appreciate his words, uh, but you know I'll, uh, you know I, I'm I'm not going to be relieved until I actually see these these clinics in operation.
3: What would you say at this point is your top priority in Brampton?
5: Vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. Those are my top three priorities.
1: Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown in conversation with Libby Snymer on Thursday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break. Libby goes to the Minister of Seniors to find out how much of a $3 billion promise will go directly to fixing long term care.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. Since the federal budget was unveiled on Monday, Fight Back has been looking for clarity on a key item for a key issue, long-term care. Following the devastating toll the pandemic has taken, advocates have been calling for national standards, and the budget offers $3 billion towards that. But what will that money be spent on, and how will it support and enforce standards? Libby Snymer asked this of Federal Minister for Seniors, Deb Schultz.
6: You know that the long-term care is in the jurisdiction of the provinces and territories. And we have been working all along with the provinces and territories since the pandemic to help support them to support seniors in long-term care. We put $1 billion in the fall economic statement to continue to help support the provinces and territories to make improvements in the long-term care sector. And now we're sending up another $3 billion to support those provinces and territories to ensure standards.
3: What exactly is that $3 billion being spent on? Because in the details, all we can see are studies and consultants.
6: So right now, the Health Service Organization Health Service uh, Health Standards Organization and the Canadian Standards Association are working to develop national standards. This is something that they do uh, in all in the health care sector. We you see them uh prevalent in hospitals and in equipment that's used across the country um in the health sector. They have already started to develop national standards uh for long-term care. So while they are working on that process, working with stakeholders, working with uh, industry experts, working with those in the long-term care sector, and working with the provinces and territories, we are also working with the provinces and territories. to uh, It's their jurisdiction, so we are working with them, As you know, and your listeners would know, there are many elements in long-term care that need to be addressed. One is the facilities, one is the staffing of people, and the other one is the standards that will be applied. So the $3 billion is what we are going to be offering to support the provinces and territories to enact national standards and apply those standards. So there's a lot of work to be done, Libby, before we can give you the details, but the work is already started with discussions with provinces and territories. You know that the long-term care sector is different in every single province and territory, so it won't look the same across, you know, how this is going to be applied. So, so this is this is the work that's going to be underway, uh, but it's very good to know uh, that there is money there to help support the provinces and territories to ensure standards are applied.
3: I'd like to welcome Lisa Levin, Chief Executive Officer of Advantage Ontario, which represents nonprofit long-term care homes. What did you make of what the Minister just told me? I have to
7: say I'm a little confused about the whole national standards uh, situation, <laughs> to be honest. And, uh, you know, we were very pleased to see a $3 billion commitment, uh, and the $1 billion in the fall. It sounds like a lot of money, but then you divide it up amongst five years, uh, and then you figure out what Ontario's share would be, and we estimate that we would get around $240 million. So in and of itself, pardon me, that sounds really, really great, but in the context of national standards, there's really only so much that can be done. So we have to ask ourselves, really, what does this mean?
3: Well, and first of all, will that money actually come? You know, that that other billion dollars in the fall economic statement, it hasn't, quote, float. We we need to
7: have transformation in our system, Libby. And the provincial government, for example, announced that it would go from 2.75 hours of care in a home per person to four hours of care per person per day. And that's going to cost $1.9 billion over four years. So, ultimately, the the amount will be $1.9 billion a year. That's transformational. $240 million is a lot of money, but it's in the context of setting national standards that look at care for residents and ensuring it's safe and having a modern building is a drop in the bucket.
1: Lisa Levin, Chief Executive Officer of Advantage Ontario, which represents nonprofit LTC Homes, and before Lisa, Federal Seniors Minister Deb Schultz. This is Zoomer Radio's best of fight back. I'm Jane Brown. There's no question that this third wave is different from the previous two. And even though vaccination efforts have been ramping up, the variants continue to have the edge. Toronto Medical Officer of Health Dr. Eileen DeVilla has even referred to this as an entirely new pandemic. With mounting hospital pressures and cases higher than ever, what do we need to protect ourselves? And how long might this go on? Libby checked in with Dr. Timothy Sly, an epidemiologist and professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University.
8: The nature of the beast is that Everybody everywhere will always be behind where where uh where the thing is going but it's 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 trying to reduce that lag time it's trying to get uh trying to get ahead of it, even though we'll never quite be ahead of it uh all the data is delayed, of course, but I think the idea of targeting specific areas where this virus is moving around more aggressively is clearly the way to go. And it should have been the way to go for, for months and months. And, of course, that goes along with that is the, is the need for uh, testing as well, that we can get some idea of, of where it is and where it isn't.
3: Yeah, that, that, one, that is one thing that seems to have gotten lost. And yesterday I heard from some employers who want those rapid tests that seem to be stuck somewhere. <laughs>
8: Well, those rapid tests are not really uh, the, the answer to diagnosing anything because they they do have a, uh, a tendency not to show the positive case at uh, uh, all the time. So, some are about. Uh, 75%, some are 85%, some are 95%, compared to the PCR test, the gold standard, which is around 99% uh, sensitive. But, uh, you know, as we said before uh, on this program, if you double up the test, so, for example, somebody shows up to be a... Uh, you know, an attendant or a, or a hospital worker or a long-term care worker, something like that, and at least once a week, say every Monday morning, they get a rapid test. The same person gets the test again and again and again. That you will show up very quickly as a fact that you're positive. It may not be the first time, but certainly the second time. It's better than nothing. It's nowhere near 100%, but we seem to have missed that one tool in the toolbox that we could be going for. Vaccines won't really get us out of the third wave. I mean, eventually they bring back the end, of the end of the pandemic, but it's not going to uh, solve the problem. I mean, you need, you need a couple of weeks to build up the antibodies, and at the rate of doubling at the moment, it's uh, shooting way up. We're, we're much higher now than we were in the second wave. But what the good news is, in a sense, is that the death rate, at least the case fatality rate, is much, much lower. And the reason for that is because the median age of the people who are now showing up ill, the confirmed cases are now the highest is in the 20 to 39 age group. If you remember a year ago, we were looking at long-term care people almost exclusively.
3: What are your top concerns right now?
8: Top consensus is, is, is long distance, look at the vaccines and do everything we can to get them in. But short term, don't rely on the vaccines. Short term, it has to be more intensive individual protection. Masking, distancing, don't let the guard down with those things. That's what's going to protect us in the next two or three weeks.
3: Mm-hmm. Anything else?
8: No, just that we are currently level with India and Iraq. Oh my Canada. goodness, we're
3: level with India? I thought in, they were the worst in the
8: world. Oh, they are. But in terms of number of cases per day per 100,000 people, we are exactly equal to those. U.S. is actually only down to 19. They're better. And uh, so we're not doing, too bad, not doing too well in the world, actually.
3: Mm-hmm. And- do you have a sense that we're, we're really at the peak of this and, and maybe it'll start coming down soon, or
8: what's your sense of that? No, I've been looking for the peak to taper off, to, to plateau off. It's not showing that at all at the moment. So far, we're heading straight upwards like a rocket. Uh, it could level off, but it hasn't shown signs of doing that yet, so it's got me really worried.
3: Uh huh. And do you have, again, any sense how long this peak might last? Is there anything in the numbers that would give you a hint of that?
8: No, there are some some countries that have shot way up I mean, three times what the second wave was. We, we, we didn't think we would reach a third wave that was the same. The 1918 influenza had a third wave that was only about half the size of the second wave. We're now equal to the second wave, and we're still going upwards. So don't, uh, don't relax anything at the moment.
1: Dr. Tim Sly, epidemiologist and professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was, and the Fight Back knockout call of the week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of this week's best calls. Tammy phoned from Simcoe with her first-hand experience in long-term care, and said that promised staffing is not happening.
9: As far as all this money that they are saying, the money, I mean, it will help, but it, they are cutting back staff. The, where I work, it is for-profit, and right after the second wave, which we went through hell, our company... Uh, cut back. I was told that it was gov- uh, regulated to government standards. I don't in any nursing home, it, even at ten, we have the ratio of ten to one. You cannot look after properly uh, a resident, ten residents by yourself. Right. We need help. Everything we are disagreeing with everything you hear on the news. They are not cleaning up, especially for profit. Like I said, they're cutting back. And, like, every time I hear there's a shortage, I'm saying there's not. We have people, Libby, that want to work, but they've cut back the hours. At the end of the day, with the poor private, it is strictly money at the end of the day. This is a business to them. This is not looking after human beings. It's a, it's a business. And we've said where I work many times, it's, like a, it's run like a factory. Nobody seems to really take hold and fix the real problem. Pat from
1: Toronto called to say he's fed up with hearing about blame placed on Canada for not having enough COVID vaccine.
10: I don't know why we keep on blaming the Canadians. As I tried to tell everybody, the problem started in the U.S. Uh, Trump didn't react properly. Uh, And so, you know, we're, we're spending too much time beating each other up. But I would suggest that maybe the government might, the Ontario government might have considered having some sort of a coalition type thing, like they have done in wartime, where you invite others to sit at the table when they're having these meetings so that everybody is more or less on the same page. I mean, we keep, and it's the same thing with the doctors. We have every other doctor coming on with a different. A different piece of advice, which gets very confusing. If we'd had the vaccines, we would be much better. The, the, I did look at the death rate before, and Canada's death rate was less than half of that in the U.S. And
0: now, <laughs> Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Bubbles in Toronto. Actually, we called her to wish her a happy
11: 100th birthday. To tell you the truth, it's hard to believe <laughs> <laughs> that they let me live that long. My kids even let me live that long. So I guess I guess I wasn't too bad a mother after all.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you sound very chipper. You sound active. Like, what's your, you know, when people turn 100, of course,
11: well, the good- big... Good genes. I've had. I have good genes, and I'm blessed with my brain still working most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just try to be positive, and uh, it's hard these days. I, though know, I'm going through what everybody else is just hoping everybody is going to be well, and we all get back to some kind of normalcy. But, uh, as, like I tell my uh, kids, each day is one day closer to the end of this whole horrible thing. Mm-hmm. I knew I'd get phone calls, but I can't just believe what's going on here. My children <laughs> have arranged things; it's uh, it's unbelievable. So, uh, but you know, it's, a, a, a hundred years—that's what it is, and uh, and it doesn't feel like it. I have to tell you, it's gone through very, very quickly. What can I say? Everybody out there, enjoy yourself, okay. uh, the best you can.
1: Thanks for the great advice. We all hope to live to be 100. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout call of the week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416 367 9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next week. when we'll round up the best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air,